Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to see you. I'm Pastor Allen. Um, some of our folks are at home watching, so welcome uh, that way. We're in a series called Decoding Faith. We're looking at uh, John's description of Jesus' ministry and trying to figure out what, what the term faith means. And today's topic is lunch and learn. And I guess today we'll learn first and then we'll have lunch. But uh, the story we're going to look at in Scripture. As already mentioned, this is declared a National Day of Prayer. And so I'd like to take a minute and pray, um, uh, just, just to pray. Uh, Father God, thank you. We thank you for the fact that we can call you Heavenly Father, that we have a personal, <clears throat> excuse me, that we can have a personal relationship with you. Um, we believe that you care about us, that you um, have the power to protect us, to provide for us. And so, God, we, we know that you're merciful and gracious, and, and so we can live without fear. Uh, but there's a lot of panic and a lot of fear in the world. There's a lot of suffering, not only just uh, physically through this, through this illness, but uh, emotionally and financially and other ways. So we do pray for the families that are suffering, that um, <clears throat> they will trust you, that they can go through this crisis without fear. And those with fear, God, that they would be able to drop, drop that and uh, turn to you. Those of us that are uh, Jesus followers, we pray for us that we would be your hands and feet, we'd be a calming influence, that we'd be speaking truth, that we'd be wise in dealing uh, in our relationships, but um, <clears throat> that we would serve people, especially those in need. Uh, God, we don't know what's going to happen and... We just know that there will be an end and then life will go on. And so we pray for that time to be shorter and the uh, effects to be minimal. But we do trust you. And we know that, that uh, and we pray that your will would be done in this situation, in all situations. We thank you for your presence here and uh, we come to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, I want to start with a question. Here's a question that we've all said, if thought, if not said, what do I get and how do I get it? And if you ever talk to somebody about Christianity that's not a Christian, um, this is one thing they're thinking. Well, what, what, why would I want to become a Christian? What would I get out of it? Um, this is natural. This is normal for all of us. Um, What's also interesting, though, even after somebody becomes a Jesus follower, stepped across that line, accepts Jesus as their Savior, uh, uh, confesses their sins, etc., uh, we still kind of live with this attitude, I believe. I think it's an immature attitude. Uh, what do I get and how do I get it? And so we spend a lot of time asking God in prayer for stuff, and we should, but if that's the major focus of our prayer, that's a little bit misguided. And I also got to thinking, if you want to make some money, especially in, in, in religious realm, write a book about how I can get and what I can get from God. And people will buy that book, won't they? Right? If, you, if I do this, this, and this, God will make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. And uh, people will buy that book. But there's a fundamental problem with this attitude. <clears throat> and it's this. It's impossible to have an authentic, intimate relationship with someone for whom you're only trying to get something. 
It made me think of that old expression, uh, uh, women give sex to get love and men give love or say they love to get sex. All right, that's a, not an authentic, intimate relationship. It's just somebody trying to get what they want. And it spills over into Christianity, in, into church. But any relationship you have, if that's your goal, it's kind of like this dance. I'm just going to give you enough so I can get what I want. Oh, I need to do this, so you'll do this. And so that's not a healthy, good word, healthy relationship. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, gave us all we need because he gave us himself. And that's what we needed. And we'll talk about it a little bit more in a few minutes. But when we have that attitude, it changes everything. Instead of being in great need, I have all I need. It brought to mind, especially with the crisis, this verse, Paul, who had a pretty tough life as a Jesus follower. He'd been stoned multiple times. He'd been shipwrecked. Much worse than most of us have gone through. And here's what he said. He said, we can experience, or we will experience, God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It's peace in the middle of the storm. It's feeling okay when things aren't okay. And we can't really explain it. But uh, we had somebody in our first service just say at the end of service, you know, I'm at perfect perfect calm in the midst of this storm. It's okay that things aren't okay because I I worship a God who's in control, that's all-powerful, and even more, He has a purpose, and and He can work good out of even bad situations. So I'm excited about seeing what God's going to do. I'm compassionate and and heartbroken for the people that are suffering, especially financially. I think most people aren't going to get that sick and going to die. But the financial ramifications for all this that's going on is going to be really difficult on many people, maybe some of you. So back to our topic. We, in our series, we've been saying this about faith. The disciples didn't follow Jesus because of faith. They didn't, Jesus said, I just believe, and they believed. No, 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 no. That's why we're, when we're looking at this, these uh, stories, these texts. They followed because of what they saw and heard. Disciples spent three and a half years with Jesus, and they saw and heard a lot more than we have recorded for us. But they, day in, day out, they saw this man, Jesus. They saw how he acted, what he did, how he thought, what he taught, etc. And so John tells us, I've got an agenda in writing my story. His story is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We have four stories of life of Christ. He said, my story is different. I've got an agenda. And it boils down to this. He didn't want us just to know what Jesus did. He didn't just want us to know the stories. In fact, again, many of his stories are different than the other gospel writers. But he wanted us first and foremost to know who Jesus is. That he isn't somebody that you just go to to get stuff, but he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he has come to set all people free to deliver us from sin and death. And by trusting in Him, we can have eternal life, a relationship with God, an intimate, personal relationship with God. So last week, we left Jesus off down in Jerusalem. He'd been going back and forth at 100 miles between Jerusalem and Galilee, where He grew up. And uh, now he's, He's traveled back up north, back home. It's hard for us to think about this. This is like a four or five day trip on foot. 
when we were there last year, we did it in like two hours on a bus. Well, more we, we stopped for a break. We, we haven't stopped, we'd be there in two hours. Um, so he, uh, oh, something else has transpired. John the Baptist, some of you may have heard of him. He was the one that baptized Jesus, cousin or relative of Jesus. Somebody really important to Jesus had, had his head cut off. And so Jesus is now mourning, obviously. So he's going back home to mourn, to spend some time maybe with some close friends or family, whatever. Uh, as we're going to see, that's not what's going to be, he's able to do. or It's not, not what's going to transpire. So this is in John chapter 6. We'll go through the story. So Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. All right. Uh, they built a town, while Jesus was a child probably, on the Sea of Galilee called Tiberias. It was named after a Roman emperor, and it's still there today. We, we stayed there. We spent a night there or two. Uh, it's the largest city today. It's still the largest city on the Sea of Galilee, and it's not very big. It's, it's not as big as Hagerstown. Maybe not even big as, as Waynesboro. It's just some, even today, so you can imagine it was a small place back then. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, you can see across, so it's not a long ways. But so they went to the other side. The other side, uh, even today, is just very, very scarcely populated. But a crowd, actually a huge crowd, followed him wherever he went. Now, why did they follow him? Really important. They followed him because they saw his signs, miraculous signs, we call miracles, as he healed the sick. So we talked about this last week. He was healing sick people. That was really important because they didn't have hospitals and many doctors back then. And if you were sick, you just, you know, hopefully got well. So Jesus is around healing people. So this is huge. And so the people are following him. Maybe some of them are sick or have loved ones that are sick and they're wanting, wow, maybe I can, they can get well. So Jesus, again, he's trying to get away from the folks. Uh, he's trying to mourn. And next verse says he climbed a hill. All around the Sea of Galilee is hills. And so no matter where he was, he had a, he could have went up a hill, and he sat down. Now, this is important. This is significant. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. This is the biggest holiday in Judaism. And interesting, because Jesus went north, he's going to have to go back to Jerusalem for the Passover. So, again, I think it's because of this mourning situation that he's in. Now, this is a reminder of maybe the biggest event in, in Jewish history. The Israelites had been slaves for over 400 years. They didn't know anything else but slavery. God said, okay, Moses, you go and help set my people free. And to do that, Pharaoh wasn't going to let up his work, uh, let for, free his workforce, free workforce. And so he pushes back, and there's these, these plagues. Final, final plague, which God knew, and we know now it was going to, pushed Pharaoh to the point he was going to let him go, was called the death angel. And Pharaoh says, tonight, if, unless you have blood on the lentils of your doorpost, around your door, this death angel is going to fly over, over your house. The oldest male child will die. Even the oldest uh, of your flock will die. Doesn't matter Jew or Hebrew. If you put blood around the door, it, you'll be spared. It'll pass over. So that's where the word Passover comes from. Um, not to belittle our, our crisis, but I came across a, something I thought was funny, especially when we give away 
gift cards. This virus passes over houses with Chick-fil-A sauce being around the doorpost. All right, so if you want protection, uh, just a little, little uh, sidelight there. But anyway, um, no, they were really, it really happened. And so we are constantly, uh, consequently, we are spared. Jesus eventually said, no, you don't need, the, uh, need to, to, to depend on that. I have come, and I'm going to shed my blood so that you can have access to God. So that's the situation. A huge crowd of people came looking for him. Now, this is where the story gets a little bizarre. And if you grew up in church, you know the story. He turned to Philip and he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Well, had they been feeding people? Was this a feeding ministry like our Tabitha Sable? No, no, no. He was going around healing people. He wasn't going around feeding people. And if I'm Philip, I'm thinking, we didn't feed any. We haven't fed people in the past. Jesus, why are you asking me? Now, experts tell us that Philip was probably from this area. So he probably knew where the restaurants and grocery stores were. Not that that would help that much. But Jesus asked him the question, knowing that the people wanted something from him. They wanted healing and whatever they can get. Were the disciples planning to feed the people? No, they'd never done this. This wasn't part of the plan. Now, we find out from the text that Jesus was testing Philip. He said, um, he, Jesus said, I'm testing, he was testing Philip. He already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. So Philip's obviously focused on the immediate, focused on the material and logic, and logic says there's no way we can do this. Um, There's not enough food. There's not enough money to buy the food. This is an an impossible task. And so I would suggest to you, what what do you do when you're faced with an impossible task? Where do you turn? Do you get frustrated? Throw up your hands, or do you look to the one that can do impossible things? And so Jesus wanting his, his disciples to look to him in this situation. But again, best we know, he hadn't fed people before. So Andrew, another disciple, actually Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves uh, and two fish. What could they with this huge crowd? Now, so why does he even suggest this? Why does he bring this up? The only logical thing to me is that he was saying to Jesus, well, here's a boy, you know, he, he's got some food, and probably some other people have food, but this is still an impossible task. Um, so they're probably expecting Jesus to say, okay, just send everybody home. But what does Jesus do? He says, tell everybody to sit down. Sit down on the grassy slopes. And this time of year, we were there this time last year, there's grass, greenery in northern uh, Israel. Down south is a desert, but this area, there's greenery. Now, this is significant. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Now, the number's significant and the men's significant. Uh, Two reasons. Um, We'll talk about the 5,000 a little bit later, uh, significance of that. But they were counting men so there was more people there, right? And we don't know, but experts say probably 15, maybe 20,000 people. You ever been in a crowd of 20,000 people? It's a lot of people. Did you ever be in a crowd of 20,000 people that were trying to get food at the same time, like at a halftime of a football game or, or basketball game? Even with multiple 
vendors, it's a, a, a massive task, isn't it, to get food to all those people. So, Jesus tells them to sit down, and then he says, he takes the loaves, uh, gives thanks to God, thank you God, for this food and what you're going to do, and he distributes them to the people. Yeah, afterwards, he did the same thing with the fish, and they ate as much as they all wanted. Now, try to visualize it. Imagine, of course, there's only like 25 people here today, but if I came in here with a bagel this morning and said, okay, we're all going to share lunch together. You say, well, I guess I get a, <laughs> a crumb. We all could get a crumb. No, 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 no. You're going to get what? As much as you want. But pastor, you only have a bagel. That's the situation. I think it's one of the most amazing stories in Scripture. It's the only one that's recorded by all four gospel writers. It's in all, all four of them. <laughs> it's the only one of these stories. They ate as much as they wanted. To me, it's the logistics how did this happen? It must have still taken hours to get this food to all these people. But however it happened, it happened. So everyone was full. <laughs> all got what they wanted. Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so there's nothing is wasted. It's a good principle in life. Don't waste anything. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps and people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Not only did everybody get everything they wanted, there was still stuff left over. And so God doesn't just give us scraps. He doesn't just give us what we need. He doesn't give us even just what we want. He gives us what? An abundance. More than we need or want. So now the people are seeing this. They're thinking, whoa, this, there's something special about this guy, right? Nobody else has ever done this. Never, never seen it before. And so, the people saw him do this, again, John is describing as, as a sign, it's a miracle, but it's a sign, surely, this is the people, the crowd saying, surely this is the prophet we've been expecting, who, who they've been expecting for over a thousand years, they called the Messiah. Now, they had a mistaken view of the Messiah. They believed the Messiah was going to do what? They were an occupied country by Rome. Uh, Rome was in control of them. And they believed the Messiah was going to come and set up his earthly kingdom. Consequently, he was going to get rid of the Romans. So 5,000 men, remember that number? That represent a Roman legion. So if you're going to throw, away, throw out the Romans, you have to have the force to throw them out. So we can imagine they're thinking, we're up north now. Remember, this is not the most populated area. Jerusalem's down south. We've got 5,000 men already. We start marching down south. We'll pick up some more men. We'll get to Jerusalem. We'll have at least 10,000, 15, maybe 20,000 men, and we'll be able to throw out the Romans and, as it says here, make Jesus king. Now, when Jesus <laughs> saw that they were expecting, they were trying to force him to be king, what did Jesus say? Whoa, 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 whoa. And so he slips away uh, into the hills by himself. So he, he takes off. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> this food was a temporary solution to a problem. By tomorrow, what? <laughs> but he's hungry again. Jesus didn't come to fulfill a temporary need. He came to fulfill a permanent need. 
So he puts the disciples in a boat. If you read the text, it's like, guys, you've got to get out of here. He puts them in a boat and sends them across. You've got to get away from this crowd. We can't let them manipulate us into doing this. And what happens next is, I believe, Jesus calling out his disciples, calling out the crowd, calling out you and I today. And it's, I'll say it this way, as long as it was all about getting something out of it, you still don't understand it. Now, most of the crowd didn't understand it. It was all about getting healing, getting food. They didn't understand it. It was about, this is God in the body standing in your presence. You are in the presence of holiness. And all you can think about is this, your temporary needs. And the same thing with you and I today. If it's all about what can I can get out of being a Jesus follower, then we don't understand what it's truly about. So, later on they find him, Jesus, on the other side of the lake, and they say to him or ask him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Or have you been here a while? Because if, you, if we knew you were here sooner, we'd come try and get something out of you sooner. But now that we know you're here, ah, we can try and get something out of you. And Jesus replies this, I tell you the truth. You, and, and this is, the, this is the, he, he's, he's stating the truth here for us. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because I'm your God that you want to worship. No, you, you just hear from what you can get. Because I fed you. Not because you understand the signs that say, hey, this is not the Messiah you think. This is the true Messiah. You're in it for what you can get out of it. And he goes on, he says, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Making it as clear as possible to understand. Spend your time and energy Seeking eternal life that the Son of Man, that means he's referring to himself, can give you. You're, you're back for another free lunch. No, 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 no. You're missing the whole point. You have access to me, eternal life. I'm God. For God the Father sent me for that very purpose. That's why I came. I came to suffer and die that you might have life, eternal life, relationship with God. They're just like you and I. They didn't get it. And so they, after he says this, they say, show us a miraculous sign. Duh. What did they just see? Probably the most miraculous sign imaginable. Show us, basically they're saying, show us another sign. Maybe then it'll be enough for us to believe. If they had another sign, would they have believed? And this is stated later in another part of Scripture. No. Uh, We just want another sign. They had enough to believe, just like you and I have enough to believe. You ever met somebody saying, oh, I'd be a Jesus follower if they, you know, if God would do this, heal somebody or, or, you know, take care of this problem or that problem. No, no, no. You've got enough. They had enough evidence. You and I have enough evidence to believe. But they asked for another one. And then he uses... Interesting illustration. They said, uh, but Jesus, our ancestors, your ancestor, ate manna while he journeyed through the wilderness. Scripture says Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. They ate like for free for 40 years. <laughs> We're just asking for a second lunch. 
all they could do or see was focused on the immediate, the uh, temporary. So I want to ask you a simple question. What do you ask somebody when you're in the presence of somebody important? What do you ask them? I don't know who you consider important. To me, it might be some famous preacher, preacher of a large church. Uh, think of the president, somebody else. Uh, in that presence of that person, I'm not going to say, hey, I want some of your free books, free sermons, whatever. Now, when you're in the presence of somebody important, you there, you're just considering honor to be in their presence, right? I'm just honored. Can you imagine if you were invited to the White House? I don't know about your political feelings, but anyway, the President of the United States, if you were invited to have dinner with the White at, in the Oval Office or in the White House with the President. You wouldn't go there with agenda. You would go there with, with thinking such an honor. So how much more when we're dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ? So I don't know what your prayer life is like, but hopefully most of your prayer life is about honoring God, not just what can I get? We're supposed to ask for what we want, but that shouldn't be our focus. Now, you get to the end of the chapter, something really significant happens here. Evidently, Jesus put a stop to the miracles at this point, temporarily. And so what happens to the crowd? At this point, many, not a, some, not a few, many, to me means a majority, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Desertion is a pretty tough word, isn't it? Gave up on him. So Jesus turns to the 12 and asks, are you also going to leave? And they say, well, well, we don't have many other options. And so they hang in there with him. Now, we can make excuses for them. This is before the resurrection. Uh, they didn't quite understand. But you and I don't have an excuse. So let me ask you a question. Are you in it for the food, so to speak? Are you in it just for what you can get? God is love. And love says, I do what's best for you. It's not about me, it's about you. So God loved us, sent His Son to die for us. So His love proved. How do we prove our love to God? By showing our love to Him, by giving our lives to Him. That's our focus, not what we can get from Him. Now, we, we have a term for this in church term, a church realm. We call these consumers, people that come to church just to get what they can get out of it, come to Jesus just what they can get out of it. <clears throat> Now, here's a point, making a point about these uh, consumers. Did the consumers change the world? This crowd, we ever hear from this crowd again? No. It wasn't the consumers that changed anything. Later on, the church turned the world upside down. It wasn't the consumers. <laughs> it was the true followers. So this is no small thing that you and I have been invited to. We've been invited to be we say it this way sometimes, God's hands and feet. We are invited to love God and love other people. This is no small thing. The next screen. <laughs> We've been invited to this. And can you imagine what our world would look like? And we're in the minority, Jesus followers in the minority. If all Jesus followers were forgiven like Jesus forgave us. We loved like Jesus loved us. And we weren't in it for what we could get. We were in it to honor God. We could change the world again. But personally, our faith changes when we realize we have 
already have everything we need. That changes your faith. It changes your outlook on life. You look at everything different. So Jesus asked the question, who do you believe I am? Am I the one that uh, you come to get what you want? Am I like a genie? You just ask and I, I, I give it out? Or you come because you realize that I am the Son of God, the Messiah. He gave us Himself. What can a person do in any relationship more than give of themselves to your spouse, to your kids, to whatever? So again, it's impossible to have an intimate, authentic relationship with someone for whom you're trying to get something. Let me say it this way to you. Stop trying to negotiate with God. Well, I'll do this, God, if you do this for me. You know, I did that. Even when I became, a, said to God when I was 17, okay, I'll be a preacher, but <laughs> you ever give God conditions? My one condition was this, that I get to stay in Maryland. That was my condition. I grew up in Maryland. I want to stay in Maryland. You know where I wound up? Or part of my career? In another country. Not just another state. So, stop negotiating. I got to the place where I said, no, wherever God, your will, not mine be done. We call that surrender. Just say, surrender. I surrender, God. Whatever you want is better than what I want anyway. I surrender all to Him. So, John tells us why he wrote this down for us. So, I want to remind you what he said. These are written that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that believing in Him, you'll have life and the power of His name. You go through life in victory, not in defeat. You go through life not with fear and not with panic, but with peace that passes all understanding. So I'm going to give you a think about. Here's what I want you to think about this week, especially in the midst of this crisis. Can we get it on the screen? There we are. Let's be true followers, not just following to get something, but followers that want to give, not consumers. And consequently, then let's leave a mark. So my prayer is during this crisis, the church will be the church, and we'll leave a mark that we go through life differently, personally, and then also as we serve others. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray, and we'll have a song and let you go. Father God, thank you. We thank you so much for this story. It's a remarkable story. We don't understand it all, but we understand that Jesus <laughs> is more concerned about eternity than now. He's concerned about our eternal souls, not just that we would uh, get a meal so we could survive in this world another day. <clears throat> and there's going to be, in, during this, during this uh, panic that we're in, there's going to be people that are going to be suffering physically, even without the illness. And God, we pray that it would cause them to think about what's really, truly important, that there's something beyond this life. And God, we have that message. I pray that we would get that message out. And if you're watching or if you're listening uh, this morning, we would pray that you, maybe you've never stepped across that line. Maybe you've been a trying to consume this Christianity thing. Or maybe you stepped across the line, you're still a consumer. You need to grow up. The Bible talks about growing up spiritually. That you want an intimate relationship with God. It's not about what you can get. It's about what you can give. 
I want to give my love to you, God, because you gave your love to me. So he invites all of us into that relationship. So he invites you to accept that gift. Father God, most of us listening are believers. Some of us may be consumers. Help us grow to the place where we just love you because of who you are. And again, God, let your, show, your, your church show up during this crisis time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>